0: Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Well, we've been walking our way through the Old Testament, both on Sunday nights and through this podcast this semester. And one thing that I've seen over and over and over again is how important names are. God changes names. God gives meaning to names. And it felt like names were a huge part of people's identities back then. And I don't feel that today. I don't feel names have as much meaning or significance. But I think it would be cool to know what what do y'all's names mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, my first name, Joanna, means God is gracious. Wow. I just found that out because I just <laughs> looked it up. We all, we
0: all just Googled our <laughs> yeah. names right before this. I'll, I'll be honest.
1: Um, are we doing middle names too? Why not? Okay. Do the whole thing. All right. Well, I don't know what my last name means. So I'm just going to do my middle name. Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: your, your middle name's cool.
1: Thank you. Um, it's Deepthi, D-I-P-T-I, um, and it's an Indian name. And in Sanskrit, it means light, glow shine a, or a ray of hope a ray of hope if you will
0: god is gracious ray of hope balraj stafford <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good name yeah what a name
1: if anyone knows what stafford means let me know
0: matt stafford super bowl champion yep. my very husband's English. dad's
1: name is matt stafford but not the matthew nah. stafford
0: i wish bummer <laughs> highland park king of highland park
2: <laughs> that's awesome um my name jacob classic usurper Supplanter, you know, he was not Deceiver. Correct. Deceiver. Were <laughs> you gonna yeah, leave that liar, one out? Yeah,
0: come on, <laughs> you, you can't leave out deceiver.
2: Um, I just looked up, my middle name is Douglas. And I also just looked that up because I've never looked that up before. It's Gaelic and it means dark stream. Whoa. Whoa.
0: And all of Jacob's friends call him Doug, by the way.
2: Yeah, many, yes, many of them do. Uh, Wait, my last
0: really? All the day ones call him Doug. Seriously? Oh yeah.
2: yeah. It started as a joke and then it turned into like, actually like, Deeb, he only calls me Doug. Oh, <laughs> <then>. <laughs> Funny because his name's Deeb. Whenever,
0: whenever Jacob's on my b real, everyone comments. Doug,
2: Doug, siding. Yep, that's right. But then my last name, book out, means hard fortress or fortress hard. Either way, and it's English, old English. Old so English. Dis, old. deceiving dark stream of a hard fortress. Whoa, whoa, that kind of it's kind of crazy.
0: Kind of angsty. Yeah. yeah, wow. I, I like, like punk rock. Uh-huh.
2: Um, my name
0: Joshua. For those those of you scholars out there, it's actually the same name. It's just a translation of Jesus, wow. which is kind of, I, I feel like sick. We sh- well, it's sick, but it's also intimidating. We sh- I feel like we don't name people Jesus because out of reverence. So why do we name people Joshua? Mom, Dad, if you're listening, that's on to you for that <laughs> one. <laughs> but Jesus means, or Yeshua means, the one who saves that's a lot of it's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. it's like savior charles my middle name which you'll only hear me use my middle name on the golf course because i only use my middle name when i'm when i'm angry (laughs) (laughs) and so charles just means king and then barnard uh just means bear so the savior king bear that's, that's, pretty, that's cool. A pretty cool name the king, <laughs> yeah. the king bear who saves oh it's a disney movie
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i'd watch it
0: wow let's do it <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh if uh, disney disney if you're listening right now i'm open uh to making a movie about me yeah just want go. to put that out there okay <laughs> thanks disney
3: um okay so my name well okay my middle name Janae. um Joanna, Janae. Janae. yep like um, course Yep. You should, you, can you say it like that, please?
0: Are you trying to, to say Janet?
3: Says. No, it's Janae. I feel like you're, I
0: feel like you're trying to say the word Janet right now. No, and you're having a hard time. I'm not <laughs> Janet. Janae. Yes. Uh,
3: okay. Janae. 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 Um, but it also means. I God is not be a gracious. Swat
0: man, Janae. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> like Joanna, is, Joanna and Janae both mean God is gracious, and apparently, according oh. to the good old Google, it's because it stems from it's like the the feminine form of John. Oh, so, oh. yeah that's cool, that's cool. Oh. And then that's cool. Pierce um, is apparently related to the Greek, like to stab for Peter, oh. so it's rock. Oh. So, okay, wow. so God is Gracious Rock, but then Ily, here we go, guys, are you ready for this? Okay, can we go My- three for three? <laughs> <laughs> um, I is A- I, like A- AI. I, not artificial intelligence. R- 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 Different. I means the ruin. Mm. Whoa! Weird, crazy, and then Lee. What? What was it? We were looking it up yesterday. Lee is, uh, defender, defender Defender of the ruin, defender of the ruin. Whoa! God is gracious, rock, crazy, dang, weird. It's like we see I somewhere else. Were you gonna make the transition?
0: I was enjoying you transitioning. It's crazy that we're talking about I, the word AI, because in our walk through the New Testament or the Old Testament, we're going to talk about the city of I, specifically Mm -hmm. in terms of God commanding his people to devote it to destruction. And so our question today, what does that mean? But more specifically, does God command genocide, specifically as we look through... Deuteronomy and Joshua, does God command genocide or the, the destruction of a people group? And so, Joanna, do you want to read uh, our passage for today? We'll be jumping around quite a bit throughout De- Deuteronomy and Joshua, but we'll we'll try and anchor in this passage.
1: Okay, yeah. So this is Deuteronomy 7, um, verse 1 through 6, um, and this is a command from the Lord, so I'll just read it out. Um, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God." The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession.
3: Woo! Okay. That was really good at reading. Good job Joanna. <laughs> you,
0: you did a great job.
3: You did a great job that, too, Eileen. No, notice I, I wasn't allowed to read again this week.
0: <laughs> For those of you that weren't in our meeting, Eileen said, I'm never reading again. That was horrible. Everyone is now going to follow Baal because... <laughs> how how terrible my reading was and so someone else has to read this week we did not kick Eile out of reading that was her own choice <laughs> but one thing that we see in this passage is it it is intense and it does leave a lot of questions i know a lot of people look at this passage or passages like this in the old testament and are filled with fear frustration anger is the God of the Old Testament the angry God? And then we get Jesus the kind God. What's going on here? Is this another time where we have to get some some context, have to get figure out what are some of the presuppositions that come into this passage?
3: I love that you mentioned, you know, some people think, oh, God of the Old Testament is really like angry and, and wrathful, and then Jesus, you know, is like the the better version of God. He's kind and merciful. But I think that just ain't it. And (laughs) when we come to the Bible, um, we need to recognize that actually the God of the Old Testament, he is so gracious and so merciful to the Israelites. And then Jesus is also like, he is um, displaying justice and, and, um, you know, causing a ruckus in places in the New Testament too. So there is a balance and an understanding we need. To and
0: have. by the time you get to Revelation, it's <laughs> yeah, things yeah. haven't really chilled out
3: mm-hmm. that yeah. much. But um, I do like how you said uh, there are some supposition or presuppositions that we need to have as well. And so what we mean by that is. There are specific assumptions or beliefs that um, a Christian will hold to before they step into the reading of God's word. And so if you're having a conversation with someone who is asking questions or making statements like, oh, well, I, I don't believe in God because I think he... Um, condones genocide or whatever whatever and you're stepping into that conversation there are certain beliefs that in order to understand the Christian viewpoint you have to um, listen to it doesn't mean you have to to believe it um, but as a a Christian as a Bible believing Jesus follower these are understandings that are um, core to the faith and so those are things that you have to hold to when stepping into this conversation does that make sense was that clear guys mm-hmm. okay so um some of those presuppositions are that you know god is the creator of life i mean he created everything he is the giver of life and because of that he can do with it what he wills and so it's it's not immoral for god to take away life or to give it because he's the creator of morals and so from a human standpoint We look at um, murder and we're like, oh my gosh, like that is so immoral. That's not just like, how could you do that? But if God is the creator of life, he has the right to give and take away.
0: And, And so again, if you're listening to this, I would say the majority of our audience is Christian, following Jesus. We come with some of these presuppositions about God. If you're atheist or agnostic and you're listening to this, obviously you're going to come in with a completely different set of presuppositions, and so what we would ask for you, just for this podcast, is we're not going to try and view it from from your lens. We're asking you, just just for this podcast, to try to view it from this this lens and the presupposition that the Old Testament would have had, the presupposition that we have as as Christians. Because if if you don't, we're, then we're just going to disagree from from the start.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one is um, this idea that if God were, um, you know, like like it, we believe as Christians that God is fully loving and um, that he is a just God. And um, Tim Keller actually talks about this a lot in his book, A Reason for God. But um, in this conversation specifically, people can look at Um, Joshua and the Canaanites and say, oh, well, your God isn't loving. He doesn't actually value life because he's going and killing all of these people. Uh, But sometimes the way that God enacts his um, plan for the world is him enacting justice. And so by him um, moving the Canaanites out of the promised land to Israel, that is him enacting justice. And so, um, I mean, we're gonna get into this later, but the Canaanites were a just awful people group. <laughs> um, I
0: mean, let's just, let, we, we can talk about it. Well, this podcast will just right. flow. We'll see where it goes. Right, right. Because right. we'll talk about that because uh, no matter where you're coming in on this podcast, your view about God, everyone to at least some degree would say, I care about justice. There's a line that if you cross that, there needs to be some sort of punishment or retribution or some way to make things right. Mm-hmm. And so we're coming in and saying God is completely just, and so part of what he's doing when he's telling Joshua and the Israelites to, to clear these people out of the land uh, that he promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 is he's saying, I am using this to enact judgment and justice on this people. And so what were the Canaanites like? Mm-hmm. What were they doing? Why do they need to to have this wrath of God or, or this justice enacted?
2: Yeah, whenever we're reading through this, um, again, remembering this is a narrative, this is like an ongoing story and there's multiple threads that are getting woven through here. One is that promise to Abraham on behalf of this people that God has chosen to basically bring his presence out to the rest of the world. Um, And another thread is the God enacting justice, um, removing things that are corrupting in really horrible ways, this good thing that he created, uh, which is the world and culture and all these peoples. And so the Canaanites, uh, they were descendants of uh, Canaan, uh, which is Noah's uh, one of Noah's grandchildren, and they quickly become very, 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 very evil. <laughs> They're horrible people groups. Um, a lot of it stemmed, most of it stemmed from them worshiping Baal. So, that is a common uh god that you're gonna see whenever you're reading through the Old Testament. Uh, Baal has his own kind of story of how he came about, how he became God and the practices in the story of Baal are the things that these Canaanites and then the Phoenicians, if anybody's familiar with uh, some of the history of that world, um, Phoenicia is a huge city, that they they worshipped Baal. And out of that worship, both lifestyle and whenever they're specifically worshipping him, uh, comes things like uh, practicing incest, bestiality, uh rape, it basically a lot of it was child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. Yeah. So it's like the two big things is just this huge conglomerate of like very perverted sexual sin, both just within lifestyle and then also worshiping before statues of Baal. And then yeah, the other is child sacrifice. And so infants all the way up to like four or five year olds would um they basically have these statues of Baal that was like a furnace. And they would put the kids in the outstretched arms of the statue, which was metal. And then they'd light the furnace, which is like the belly of the the statue. And it would heat up and burn these kids alive. And they'd have festivals before it, both out of worship and then also to like hide the screams of the kids. So that way their parents wouldn't like hear and change their minds and stuff like that. So it was like really insidious stuff that kan- Kanan was doing. Uh, and they were known for this. Like, everybody around them were like, they are literally... It wasn't just Israel thinking this. They were literally, like, the worst of the worst. Um, and they did this for a really long time. And God eventually says, hey, their sins have become as much as I can take, basically. He's like, "They have. I've stored up wrath against them. They have not repented of any of these things. And uh, whenever he tells Israel in Deuteronomy, right in chapter 9, actually right after 7... Uh, to go and remove them from the land, to drive them out. Uh, Part of it is because of their wickedness. And so God allowed Israel to be in captivity for 400 years and then to wander for 40 years in order for the timing to be just right for a just punishment for very, very corrupt evil to happen on the Canaanites um, by the hand of God through his people.
0: That's really good. And so the first thing that we see is that God wasn't just saying, hey, they disagree with me or they don't believe in me, so they're I'm going to smite them and and kill everybody. Again, it comes down to your presupposition of who do you think God is? Is God just an angry God that is trying to kill everyone that disagrees with him? Or is he the God of the Old Testament where those people would have been so familiar with this saying; they probably would have repeated it every day. It, it comes from Numbers fourteen. It says, "Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression." So they would have known this God that that is slow to anger; that doesn't just isn't just some angry dad who's just waiting for his kid to mess up so he can punish them. But he's, he's wanting to forgive. He's wanting to be gracious. He's slow to anger and overflowing in love. But there's also a just side to it, to him, a justice side. It says, But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So there still is a justice side, that God would not be good if he just decided okay you know you're killing kids and you're raping people and you're just killing anyone that comes into your path okay you know i forgive you just keep doing keep doing that I, i'm i can say with confidence none of our listeners would say that would be a a just god that just is okay and fine with that going on Mm -hmm.
2: yeah and that's that's good to have that perspective going into this story because if we don't take the time to to very much look at both who the canaanites were and then the multiple reasons that god specifically gives the israelites as to this is how i'm going to enact justice it, it is easy to just read like oh yeah just go annihilate all these people and be like why would he do that but it's you take it out of the the context which again we beat that to death you always got to read it in context which is super helpful
3: yeah and what this also is like is not is oh god's saying oh just go and like surprise attack these canaanites wipe them out like get them out of here like the canaanites they knew, like you read and, and you see Rahab, she was aware of who the Israelites were and what Yahweh had done for them. And the Canaanites knew, hey, um, we have the option to get out of here. And they stayed. And so they were aware of what could have happened when the Israelites came to their doorstep. And so let's
0: let's talk about that. We read the passage in Deuteronomy. Moses is giving the second giving of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. Preparing the second generation of Wilderness wanderers to to go into the land that was promised all the way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. This is this is their land, and they're going back to to take it from the people who took it from them. And he's preparing them for this. And so then, flash forward to Joshua, who now is being commissioned to go into that land. And, and what do we see in in Jericho or in Ai when God is? commanding him to go and take the land. And he says words like, devote it to destruction. Mm -hmm. What is God actually commanding his people to do in these cities? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, the, the broad context of those things or those commands falls into the greater command of, hey, drive out all these Canaanite people. And then there's three specific instances where God says, hey, devote this place for destruction. Uh, like you mentioned, Jericho, I, and a place called Hotzor, or H- Hazor, I don't even know how to say Hot it. Springs. H- Hot Springs. <laughs> Hot Springs. Hot Springs, <laughs> Arkansas. No, just kidding. Uh, Hotzor, and all of these places were, uh, like, these military outposts, and so, like, especially whenever you read Jericho, we think, like, all the times we uh, Garland actually brought up one time, uh, which sometimes when we think Jericho and, you know, people marching around and the walls falling, we think of the movie Troy, which, you know, is my favorite movie. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. And it's like this massive city and it's like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. Uh, in reality, Jericho was this outpost that was like a couple acres in size. Like think if you, if you attend fellowship fable, think the front parking lot,
1: that's how big it was.
2: <laughs> uh, and it's just like, a, it's an, it's for soldiers to dwell in. There would be some soldiers. Um, obviously Rahab was there. It was kind of frequent to have like prostitutes, um, like a few maybe. Um, It would be a handful of people that would live in a place like Jericho.
3: Yeah, not many men, or sorry, not many women or children.
2: No, yeah, it's mostly just, it would be like Canaanite soldiers, basically, um, soldiers of the land. Uh, I, as Eileen mentioned, was even smaller than Jericho. It was an outpost. that got ruined and destroyed, and then they kind of like half rebuilt it, and there was even less than that. I mean, just like a few soldiers that kind of hang out, and it was on the road to some of these bigger cities that God has commanded uh, His people to drive out. Um, and so, those three places are these like strategic military outposts uh, where it would have been soldiers there uh, trying to defend these bigger cities. And so He goes in and says, "Hey, get rid of all, get rid of these outposts." Um, and those are the, those are specifically the three instances where. God's like, hey, devote these things completely for destruction. Uh, And so it was very few people. It was almost completely soldiers. uh, And it was strategic in just getting rid of these places for the whole people of Israel to move into the land.
3: Yeah, and again, just looking at our um, mental picture that we can have of this whole instance, we can read so many things into it. Yes, there were those three cities that were devoted to that destruction but Yahweh says hey I'm going to clear this land little by little like this was not a mass like swooping in of the Israelites just destroying everybody and this super violent thing like this is over many many years very slowly um, the Israelites are coming in and God is clearing out the land before them the land that was promise to the Israelites it's not the Canaanites land and so we just have this this super like violent like short quick time period where everyone's just getting destroyed and and we need to remember okay like let's look at the whole context let's look at the the these you know places jericho i are they these big cities or are we reading into that are they really just these like um military outposts you know stuff like that
2: and to be fair just from like our culture it's obviously really easy to just imagine that because i mean every military movie every action movie especially ancient that you think of again is like a troy that's just kind of the air that we breathe or these like big crazy huge attacks when in reality that's not really what happened and like Israel wouldn't have been able to do that anyway. Like, there weren't enough people to even do something like that in a land mass the size of Canaan. Um, and so it's okay that, like, that happens to be what we think. We just need to do the work to correct some of that.
0: Yeah, and another bias we have to bring bring in and, and recognize is what land actually means. It means something totally different to us today than it, than it did back then. Land was was in a way, especially for the people of God, was a representation of, of God's goodness and blessing to them. It was their land that God had had given to them and to their forefathers, and they were supposed to give it to their children. And this was where they were where they were supposed to reside. And every time they were disobedient or rebellious or out of right relationship with Yahweh, God would would allow a people group to come in and and take over. And that was His discipline and punishment and as a way to to repent. And so the land was a very, very sacred place for them. we We kind of view it differently in some ways, but but in other ways, you know, if you own a if you own a house or you own property, we can be very very particular about our land if our neighbor has a tree that's that's growing into our yard or if someone mows on the wrong side of the fence or or just even creeps into our allotted space a lot of times that that irks us and causes us to be to be angry and hey this is this is my this I this was purchased for me, this is mine. And so there is a part of that that we can maybe still see glimpses of today, but looking back, it was even more important because this was this was one of their ties to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. I know that God is blessing me because this was the land that was promised to my people thousands of years ago. And so the land was a very was a very special thing. This is a big this is a big deal.
3: Yeah, and you see that being given and taken away throughout the whole storyline of the Bible. I mean, as we read the Bible, we see God just, I mean, playing out this plan for humanity and for his chosen people. And so you see them you know, taking control of this land, the Israelites that they have been given. But then, you know, you see this, this spiral and, and judges, and then, you, you know, you have all of these kings and things are happening where land is being taken and given away. And then, and then you see the exiles with Assyria and Babylon. And, and so I think we just have to remember the big picture that first of all, God is sovereign and, and he gives and he can take away. Um, but also he is just. And so Yes, he, in in the story of Joshua is enacting justice on this horrendous people group to to give Israel what they were given originally. But then we see this later on with the Israelites where their land is taken away from them because they are not serving Yahweh as well. And so there's kind of like these waves going on throughout the Bible.
0: That's good. And so to kind of summarize that, there's a lot more that we could could say and and there's some some great podcasts out there that go way more in depth than uh then us what's the podcast you sent us, Eileen? I can't oh goodness, I should have I should have had seconds. it hold up.
3: Yeah, it's really good. Okay, so and um, there's a podcast called Answering Atheists Does God Command Genocide in the Bible? Um and the the people that it comes from, they call themselves one nine nine audio streaming. So um yeah, they're a really a really good resource to look into.
0: And so but to to give just a brief brief summary that God out of his justice, being a just God, is punishing Canaan for their wickedness. And again, we're talking about really grotesque things that that they're doing. But he's even being gracious in allowing them an opportunity to leave the land. They have a choice to leave the land. And even in some circumstances... God brings in Canaanites to the people of God. Again, we see that in Rahab. We see that throughout the Old Testament in these little pieces as glimpses that that God allows not just Israel, but those outside of Israel to repent and follow him and his way. And he brings them in to the people of God. And we even see in Rahab that she, not a Jew, being a prostitute in Jericho follows Yahweh and ends up being in the lineage of Jesus and included in the hall of faith, as we call it, in in Hebrews 11. And so kind of trying to tie this all together, wh- what significance does this have for, for us today? Obviously, it's important as we try and shape our view of, of who... God is, but is there any, any significance for us as 21st
2: century Christians today? Yeah, that's, a uh, this idea of specifically, we're looking at Joshua and we're looking at this question of like genocide and things like that. Um, it is in this falls into this greater picture of both God's character, Josh, like you already talked about. And then also the idea of, life it's like that's a big question there. Yeah. it's like how could god command taking all this life um and it is abundantly clear especially in the old testament as he's giving various laws to his people that life is very sacred we hit on that last podcast talking through leviticus yeah. and how uh, all, all the representations of life that were very sacred to god um and so you know then this is what's happening then we need to learn how to understand it, understand its context, read it within the whole narrative of Scripture. Um, but that is something ob- that is obviously uh, big in our culture, is how do we view life? Uh, we're talking about justice. Uh, we're talking about wh- how do we decide when is it okay to take life so you get into you know capital punishments, and how do we as New Testament in this covenant of Jesus followers view that type of stuff you could break it all the way down to like self-defense there's a lot of areas where justice and life and the sacredness of life intermesh and it's really complicated and so not, not even saying that there's like these answers and these stances that you absolutely must take but thinking through even if it just comes down to if you decide to engage in um, in government what decisions you make with like with voting and policies that that um include those things. Uh, I don't think that there's like one stance on every single thing for the most part, um, because it's a really complex issue, but it is very, uh, it is very apparent in our culture that this, this idea of life and how God views life. And then also just his sovereignty in things even like government, why he installed government and how, how they get to decide, what type of punishments happen? And there could be wicked governments, there could be not wicked governments. Um, it's kind of a tangent from this, but it's still wrapped up in that idea of God is gracious and merciful and he is just, and that is still true of him today. Uh, and so how do we wrestle with that? I think it's just a challenge that I have and that I give myself and that I would also give everybody who's listening to this podcast to just wrestle through that. Know that it will be uncomfortable, uh, and that's okay. That's that's part of the point. You grow in independence on God through that.
0: Yeah, there. That's really really well said. Because there's some black and white issues, and then there's a lot of gray and a lot of messy things. Especially when we're talking about life. Yeah. I mean, you can talk, you can go through every season of life. We, you know, we can talk. We've talked. We have a podcast out. If you haven't listened to it on abortion and this whole mm-hmm. pro life, pro choice. We get into capital punishment, death penalty. If if God had a vote in our country today, would he be for the death penalty or Ooh. against the death penalty? <laughs> we talk about war. Mm-hmm. Does, does God want us as a country to, to go to war? When's the right time to go to war? When's the wrong time to go to war? We can even go mm-hmm. all the way, and there's, there's more, but we can stretch all the way to our last few days and Mm -hmm. euthanasia and what like what that's that's euth by the way not like kids in asia i always thought it's youth euthanasia i always thought like (laughs) (laughs) euthanasia like why is it
3: i think you're the only one who thought that okay that's good
0: just in case anyone's (laughs) like me out there and they hear the the term euthanasia and they thought oh kids in (laughs) in asia no but the, the decision if if someone is it doesn't have the capacity to make decisions and their health is is failing can you pull the cord or not can you take them off life support those type of decisions it's it's really hard and really messy and if anything if you've learned anything on this podcast we're here to give you more questions than answers Mm -hmm. so so there you go. We might spend a whole season on the impl- implications of life in our decisions in 21st century America, but here's where here's where we need to land, and and all those things. And Eileen, it feels like you have something to add to that. So I'm gonna let <laughs> well, you go.
3: No, I was just gonna say, hey, as we start wrapping up, just to swing it back around, yes. like, okay, nitty gritty. Did God command genocide in Joshua? I'm gonna go no and say, okay, we have to remember the context that we're in. Um, this is God driving out these people little by little who knew this was coming and had the option to leave. But also when we look at the text, it seems to have really powerful language of like, no, like they completely destroyed them and, mm-hmm. and um, just like everyone died. Well, if you keep reading the narrative, you see Canaanites a few chapters later. <laughs> like they didn't destroy all of them. Um,
0: There's descendants of from Jericho and, yeah, I you know. and Canaan and all these things.
3: Exactly. And so, just to remember, we always need to check our passport when we're reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament. And we have to be able to to responsibly do our research and look into what we're reading in the Bible and what's going on there.
0: That's really good. And so. There, there even there is there's even room for a hyperbole hyperbole mm-hmm. in this passage as well. When when God says devote them to destruction, he's not meaning kill every breathing thing. It's this is your land. Go in and 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 push them out. And if they don't if they don't want to, this is my justice on their wickedness and rebellion. And the question that I hear a lot is. Well, let's just say there was even one innocent person there. Like, what if there was one, wom- like woman or child who didn't deserve this? And we don't have to go there. But now that I've already brought it up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, go. we'll we'll go there and and understand that that even our leaders in our country have to sometimes make some of these decisions. In this podcast that we already mentioned earlier they talk about on 911 they they found out there was a plane that had gotten hijacked and that they they weren't exactly sure where they were headed but they're headed towards a place that had a ton of people and they got a hold of the the captain and some of the flight attendants and said if you can we need you to make sure this plane goes down before it gets there mm-hmm. and leaders in our government made a decision hey there are innocent people on this plane that had nothing to do with this and, and we're commanding you to, to try to have this plane go down in order to save thousands and thousands more in this, in this other place. And I know that's not a perfect example, but even, even us today sometimes have our faced with, with some of those, uh decisions and, and what we see is that the wickedness of Canaan was spreading to from from territory to territory, from land to land, and God wanting to promote his his holiness and purity among the land and among the people was doing what was best for not only Israel but for for all the land, for all the surrounding people who were being being killed and subjected to all these things because of the wickedness. Of, of Canaan. So there's, I know that's not a perfect example, and you can only take that illustration so far, but it does kind of at least open our minds to the possibility that that God in His infinite wisdom, being outside of time, makes decisions that we might not understand in the moment, but are, are for the good of His people and for the land.
3: Yeah, yeah we remember it. God is merciful. And so even if we look back to Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, he was willing to save the city if there were righteous people in it, you know? And so, um, even if there were righteous people in, um, Canaan, you know, like, okay, well, what would God have done? But say, okay, well, even if there are, even if there were, um, righteous people in Canaan, well, one, God did save Rahab. Um, but also if there were innocent men and women and children, exactly what you said, Josh, um, You know, God is just and merciful, and he also is all-knowing. And Mm -hmm. so um, he knows what is best. And that's a presupposition, again, that we have, that that God is the one with the most knowledge and understanding. And so um, for him to um, take out this small, you know, maybe small group of innocent people to then save the whole nation of Israel and the whole surrounding nations so that that corruptness wouldn't spread, then God has the right to do so.
0: And it wouldn't be the last time that he subjected someone to that was innocent to death, to punishment for the good of the multitudes. And so that's what we see in Jesus. We see that, that God gave up his son, perfect, flawless, no blemish, no, what does it say? No no spot, no blemish. This perfect sacrificial lamb gave him up to death on the cross in order that the multitudes, that anyone of, of not just Israel, not just the Jews, but of all these nations, no matter what their wickedness, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad their past is, that they could they could look to him, that they could believe in him, and that that death of an innocent man could cover and cleanse uh, a people of any nation and any tribe and any language, and so that's what that's what we see. This is the God, the God who we sometimes see as as angry and wrathful and full of vengeance is actually a God that is abounding in steadfast love. That that is forgiving, that is slow to anger. And we see even in the New Testament that he desires all to be saved. No matter if you're a murderer, no matter if you're in prison, no matter what you've done, He his desire is for you to know him. His desire is for you to have your past cleansed in the blood of Jesus. So if you're listening to this today, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what country you're in, whether you're from Israel or from Canaan, he wants you to look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to be a part of his people and to have this relationship and to dwell in this land with him. So.
3: Shoot, that's the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a pastor?
0: (laughs) Pastor Josh always comes out <laughs> at the end of these podcasts. And so sometimes it's cheesy. Most of the time it's cheesy. Okay, we'll say it. But if you guys have any questions, I know that we're just scratching the surface. There's so many podcasts out there that that can answer this more in depth and in detail than, than we can. But we just want to help you to navigate these questions and the point you in the right direction. And so we're here if you need anything. And until next time, grace, grace and, and peace. peace.